Hi, I'm Mel. And I'm Safs. And we're going to take you away from the play. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. This week, we had an awesome, awesome guest. We had Kim Malemans, who is a Belgian skeleton athlete. Really cool interview. Uh, You know, she's represented her country at the Olympics and made history by becoming the first Belgian skeleton athlete. Uh, to get all the way there so it's it was a pretty fun interview learned a lot about skeleton the sport itself I mean I've never used the word skeleton as much as I have and <laughs> like right now <laughs> and also in the interview and then I realized I'm like I don't know how to employ this properly <laughs> like, do you know what I mean Mel? <laughs> Th- that was my first question so I actually met Kim in Lake Placid last year because she, she's actually dating uh, a good friend of ours Sarah Dajnev so Karel Emar and I went to Lake Placid to watch her compete and stuff and hang out with all these amazing athletes and I'm out to dinner with them and I'm like, I'm trying to text my friend that I'm like hanging out with skeleton athletes, but I didn't know how to say skeleton athletes. So I was like, I'm hanging out with skeleton people, the people yeah. who do that skeleton, <laughs> skeleton persons and finally Skele- skeletoning, skeletoning, <laughs> the skeletoners. And then finally yeah. um, <laughs> at dinner, I asked the group and they were like you could just say skeleton athlete i was like thank you thank you thank you thank you please pursue your conversation yeah no i mean they were an incredible group to hang out with and i mean kim is an incredible person and like first off just really good energy which i like yeah um and really a trailblazer and i think like the most shocking part i heard is like her kind of breaking off from like her German teammates early on in her career, I thought that was like really amazing to really mm-hmm. carry her own, you know, as a Belgian athlete. Um, right yeah. now, she's currently in Switzerland, uh, about to compete in her second race of the season, I think. She just placed eighth at the European Championship. She has achieved top 10 World Cup results throughout her entire career. Um, placing fifth in 2017 at the World Championship. As you mentioned, you know, she was at the 2018 Olympics. She's a decorated athlete, and it was really fun to learn more about what it's like. I mean, it's kind of like this fringe sport, or as I said in the interview, the unicorn of sports. The unicorn, and- yeah. Mystical. <laughs> I loved it. I know, it was like <laughs> mystical athletes, and it was so yeah. fun learning about it. And I mean, I really hope. Kim can actually let me go down the track in Placid next time she's here. Yeah. <laughs> I will drive to will like Placid to go down this track. <laughs> I really want to see this. <laughs> I'll, I'll be there supporting you from the sidelines. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. This is a long intro, but um, I think it just shows how much we enjoyed this interview and we hope you enjoy it as well. Kim, it's lovely to have you on our podcast. Can't wait to talk more about skeleton, the sport that Mel and I know superficially what it is and what it looks like, but don't know much beyond that. Uh, Before we dive into your career, want to know, like, how have you been holding up this past year? I mean, we've been asking this question to all our guests, and now it's been a year that we're into this. 
I heard that you were in Panama when the pandemic hit and then you were stuck in Panama. I mean, how has yeah. it been? What was that like? <laughs> it was actually quite amazing. We got just super, super lucky. Yeah, we left, uh, I think, one day before they had their first case. Um, so we thought we were going to be fine. And at that point, even in Europe, everything was still kind of just getting started. It was just Italy and not everything else. Uh, so we were like, ah, it'll be fine. Let's just go. And yeah, three days after Panama pretty much went into closing their borders and planes stopped flying and we were like, oh shit, <laughs> maybe that was not the best idea. Um, but we ended up deciding to just wait it out and go to the other side of Panama where it's like the Caribbean side. So nice. it was a really, really, really good place to get stuck for two months. That's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I was like slightly jealous. You don't want to be jealous during like a global emergency, but just following you in Dad's Insta, I was like, yeah, it's so pretty. Like nothing like being stuck on the beach and and watching you try and train though with with what you had like logs. You were just like squatting, Sarah. DIY, you gotta figure it out. <laughs> it was incredible. Um, so Kim, let's just like dive right into it. You you are a skeleton athlete, which is something I learned just last year when we first met. Because I was like, you're skeleton person, skeleton player, skeleton noner. Like it was like some, it was like how do you conjugate this? But. Um, you're a first skeleton athlete, and for those who might not know, we tend to have like a hockey heavy following. Can you tell us like what is that sport, and maybe kind of the difference? between other sliding sports like bobsled and, and luge just give us like an umbrella view of, of what you do yeah for sure so skelly is pretty much the on the same track as bobsay everybody knows bobsay from cool runnings and i mean in canada yeah. bobsay because it's bobsay um but yeah so we go down the same track but we are alone so not mm -hmm. like bobsay who is with two or with four but we're alone and yeah, we sprint, then we kind of dive onto our sled and then we uh, slide down head first. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. <laughs> like when you describe it like that, people are like, I still don't understand. But I mean, see, seeing it on TV is incredible and seeing it live is, is terrifying. It's but. exciting. It's like exhilarating. At the same time, you can't take your eyes off of it. But then you like think about like I could never do it just like recreationally. <laughs> I just feel like, ah, I think I'll go like, for a swim or play soccer or something well you know people always think that it's really scary and that it looks really frightening but it's really the least dangerous of the three sliding sports really like bobsay yeah like bobsay you have this super heavy sled that when you crash it comes on top of you yeah. and you're kind of stuck in there then loose you're further off the ground which kind of makes also for a mm. higher fall kind of and their sleds right. are more flexible so and they go even faster um so skelly is actually quite safe uh mm. of course we go fast and all of that but if i compare it for example with hockey uh, our injury level is way lower than it will ever be in a sport like hockey mm. really? that's interesting i mean that's something we wanted to talk about kind of like the, the level of danger and like what what i guess like safety protocols or whatnot is there within your federation but before we do that we know that you weren't a skeleton athlete your whole life. I mean, I don't even know if you can start as a kid, but we learned that like you were a soccer player, that you also played a bunch of sports and then you discovered skeleton. So like, how old were you when you discovered skeleton and you know, what drew you to the sport? 
Yeah, I was actually quite young. Like if I compare it to like Canadian sliders or American sliders, they yeah. tend to start on a higher age. Um, and I started when I was 13. So okay. Okay. I was quite early. Uh, I think now the youngest kids are probably around 11 when they start. Wow. So okay. it's getting earlier. Um, but yeah, most athletes are definitely tend to be higher, like uh, at a higher age and skelly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's... Yeah, I don't know. I I don't think I would have ever gotten into skeleton if I wouldn't have been in a boarding school for winter sports, kind of. I got there for completely other reasons. I went to Germany because I have really bad asthma. And my parents are both into uh, the horse industry. They're both coaches for horseback riding. And I'm allergic to horses. Oh, no. (laughs) Sarah was telling me that, and I thought it was hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, it's really just, that's how life goes, you know? Like, you plan your kids to be the perfect horseback rider your <laughs> whole life is about horses and then yeah you pop a baby and it's super allergic <laughs> it's just I don't know it's very ironic but um I mean I'm really happy and I think my parents by now are also really happy that I decided to go in a different direction um but yeah so I got to boarding school because of asthma because I needed to be in an environment where I had more medical care but also just better air in general and to Mm. not be around horse hair all the time (laughs) um and yeah I was a soccer player and I still am deep down um but uh yeah they brought me to skeleton and I'm really grateful for how that went because if I would have stayed in Belgium my whole life I for sure would have never started well, that's kind of leading up into like the second question. Like you're the first ever like Belgian athlete to compete in, in skeleton at the Olympics in, in 2018. Yeah. And like, you know, as the first of anything, there's there's no clear path to success. Um, you have to make it your, yourself. So like, was it difficult? Like, obviously you you got a lot of experience, you know, while you were at school, but like after you've graduated and stuff, like it, it was it difficult to get into the sport as far as like being a Belgian athlete or you were just like continue to train in Germany and then you just kind of slap on the like Belgian label like um and are you like kind of creating a path for for other athletes in Belgium who might want to pursue this sport I'm trying you know um I always felt like a Belgian I never really felt at home in the German team the okay. Germans in our sport are well, Germans in general. I think we all have this stereotypical idea of what a German athlete looks like. <laughs> um, so I never really fit it in there. Uh, I always wanted to chat with all the other athletes and like the international field. Like I loved that part of it the most. And that was the part that they didn't want me to do. Okay. No socializing. <laughs> they, always, they always stay in their little uh, team bubble kind of they're very serious and yeah I don't know I it never feel felt 100% right so anyhow I wouldn't be where I am without sliding for Germany in the first couple of years like their program is the best in the world like I don't mm-hmm. think there's any doubt about that and the amount of runs the amount of experience I got by training in that team was just huge and it still helps me um, but yeah when I decided to go for it and slide for Belgium again they kicked me out of boarding school so yeah yeah, my last year of high school I had to live in an apartment by myself and uh, figure it all out a bit by myself 
Um, but I don't, I've never regretted this decision. And I think nobody would have expected me to keep growing in the sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like when I made that call, um, Anja Huba, which is one of the biggest athletes the German team ever had, her and I were kind of like a big sister, small sister relationship. And she told me, she was like, well, Kim, it's really your call, but you got to know that that's the end of your skeleton career. Okay. I was like, okay, that's how you think. Good to know. And I mean, now I've been fifth at world champs. I've been fifth at European champs. I went to the game. So a lot of things clearly worked out better for me going mm-hmm. that way. Like yeah. if I would have stayed in a German program, I would have quit because I didn't have fun. Right. I wouldn't have continued that way. So I'm really happy things went the way it did. And I'm really happy for our young kids, the Belgian blizzards, the next generation to come in and start taking over a bit. Uh, but yeah, I hope that by the end of my career, we'll have a bit more of a wider program. Yeah. Mm. Now we're, we have two girls and a boy, so it would be good to grow it a li- little bit more, but we'll see. No, That's for sure. Incredible. Yeah. I mean, you had to make a pretty big decision at the time and people were telling you like, not so sure about it, but it's good on you for sticking to your gut feeling and look at where you are now I mean do you remember what that first ever competition the first ever competition you competed in I guess it was in Germany right so what was that feeling what was going through your mind can you take us back to that time so the first ever competition or first for Belgium both we can do both because I'm guessing maybe you had different feelings well yeah I would assume Belgium (laughs) so actually my first ever international race I won (laughs) no way (laughs) going in with a bang I like it yeah it was a Europa Cup and I wasn't even supposed to race there um I didn't get selected for the German team and then they called me up because another girl got injured and I showed up there I was 14 at the time you know I was just like (laughs) okay this is fun and it was a snow race and I had no idea what I was doing really and I get to the finish and I'm first I was like (laughs) what is happening the rest of the team was so pissed at me. They were like, this is shit. Like, that's just because of the snow. Like, everybody was just angry. I was just like, okay, this is fun. Let's do more of this. Um, and then for Belgium, my first race was also Europa Cup. Because once you switch nations, you have to start back on, oh, like, the okay. lowest series. Oh, really? You have to, like, build, build your rank? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, because if you want a World Cup spot, you need to be in the top 45 of the ladies' world ranking. Um, And the only way to do that is start in Europa Cup, then Intercontinental, and then World Cup. Um, So yeah, it was a uh, Europa Cup in Norway, in Lillehammer. And I was second with 100s behind an American. Very annoyed with that 100. So that was was a very liberating feeling. Like to be there to have made that call to have had a lot of people saying like that's a bad call mm-hmm. and then go out there and actually beat the German kids that were there it was just really nice that's and awesome cherry yeah. on top for sure yeah for sure it was a really nice nice competition so now in your career I mean you've you have a couple of seasons under your belt by now <laughs> What does a typical season look like? And, you know, how much has it changed in the pandemic? Because I know you just started your new season, I believe, for the year. So how is it now? And, you know, how does it compare to, you know, what you're used to? 
Mm. I think the only difference is that that it's less social. You know, everybody yeah. stays more within their teams, uh, within their bubble, is what we call it. Um, whereas normally it's a very really really small family in skeleton. I mean, mm-hmm. Mel, you've been there in Lake Placid, <laughs> yeah. So you've seen it. Uh, we're a small group, and everybody gets along, and we go out and we have fun together. Um, so this is different. Like yeah. there's no none of that right now. Like uh, we have to stay apart. Uh, even like people that I'm really good friends with, uh, for example, Kendall, the American girl. Mm-hmm. It's very yeah. We need to either go for a walk outside with masks on, yeah, or you don't really get to hang out at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's I think the biggest difference. In general, our seasons is very different from anything you would expect in hockey. I think. Uh, because obviously we have to travel all the time yeah um, like we don't stay in one spot for longer than a week usually mm. and especially woke up season normally is yeah it's eight woke ups so eight different tracks eight different weeks plus world champs after and this year again with the world pandemic they tried to limit our traveling a bit uh, so everything that's north america america got cancelled or better got shifted to europe so we had a lot of double races and places where we actually stayed on the same track for two weeks, okay. which has actually been quite nice, to be honest. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a shame because we would have had world champs in Lake Placid yeah. close to you guys coming up in a couple of weeks. So that would have been fun. But yeah, I'm just really happy we get to slide this year. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it gives you a little bit of, like, normalcy. I mean, I can imagine your training's probably changed. I mean, everything's changed in everyone's life a little bit. So just getting mm-hmm. back to, like, the thing you love um, is definitely helpful. I guess I'm curious for, like, you were talking about, like, getting your ranking up. So what are – can you explain to me, like, the tiers of, like, how you get to to be, like, an Olympian just – so people understand, I don't know, if someone wants to become a slider, not saying yeah. I do. Mel's <laughs> <laughs> putting out the feelers. Um, so, yeah, you have the Europa Cup and North America's Cup, which is okay. the third tier, like the third league, kind of. Um, both of these series doesn't mean that there's only Europeans or only North Americans. It just means that they're located only in North America and only in Europe. Okay. And usually those races are more younger athletes, at least in Europe often, um, that just get started and they're the development teams of the bigger nations and all of that. And then after that, you have the intercontinental, which is intercontinental. Like you have some <laughs> in North America and you have some in Europe yeah. and you have athletes from all nations compete there already. And you okay. get more points for those races. Okay. And then after that, it's World Cup. But World Cup, you're only allowed to race if you have a qualified spot. And that's always based on the season before. Mm-hmm. So like okay. somebody that starts sliding ranking to be able to get a World Cup spot, um, which is why you have to do the other races first. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously in World Cup, yeah, our points are just worth a lot more. Like if you win a World Cup, it's... Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you're competing against better people. Exactly. So that's the idea behind it. I think, isn't in hockey, like for world champs, you also have like different levels. Yeah, yeah, different levels too, yeah. It's just like for like sliding sports and like, I just feel like there's like fewer nations that participate. So it's... 
you'd be surprised. <laughs> I well, that's like the next. I was like, man, like Nigeria's got some sliders now. It's yeah, like it's crazy. It's awesome. I mean, yeah. any sport that's growing is good. But well, we'll dive well, into we're that actually, a little bit later. We actually really have a lot of nations. Like we have Brazil, Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico, American Samoa, Jamaica, Brazil, Mexico, Argentina, <laughs> which uh, is, is is surprising because like. You think of it, you're like, I, I imagine you need a track to train. And I guess this could dive into the next question. Like, you know, what is your training like? Because it's a sport where there's not necessarily a track at every community. So <laughs> so maybe how, how, what's your like training like? And, you know, we read that you train seven days a week, which sounds crazy, but. Um, <laughs> Let's say six. So what's the training like? Yeah, so as a Belgian athlete, obviously, we don't have tracks at all in Belgium. Mm-hmm. Uh, like in Europe, the only tracks are in Germany, Austria, Switzerland, France, and Latvia and Norway, I guess. But we never really go there. Okay. So it's very limited, obviously. But that really doesn't mean that you need to have a track to be good in skeleton. Because the last Olympic, the last two, three Olympic champions are actually from Great Britain. So they don't have a track either. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyways, I mean... In summer, there's no ice on track, so it doesn't really matter if you have a track in your backyard. You can't use it. So, yeah. um, summer training is very much like a sprinter. So, because of our starts, uh, we work a lot on on speed, power, um, jumps, like plyometrics, a lot. Um, we try to go and push a sled every now and then, but even that is kind of hard. Like in Belgium, we don't have a push track. Um, so we try to build our own little push sleds and use it on the normal track and field. Um, and then normally we tend to go like on one or two push camps to locations where they actually do have tracks to push on. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very much like a sprinter really, um, very versatile and very much. Yeah. I think if you would try to match it with one sport, it's definitely sprint. Interesting. How much, uh, how much time do you dedicate then to mental work and kind of that aspect of the game? Yeah. So like mental runs or mind runs, how we call them are obviously really important because every track is different. And as soon as you get to a new track, you have a very limited amount of runs on the track. Mm-hmm. Um, so practicing them in your mind for sure helps. Um, but I think the most important mental part in our sport is definitely just confidence, mm-hmm. like overall confidence. Yeah. Um, I think that's the case for most sports maybe, mm-hmm. but I think in our sports, if you're not confident, you're going to maybe tighten up a bit more on your sled and you're going to do little movements that you're not supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, you won't let the sled run as free as if you would when you're just feeling like you're the boss and you got this race. Yeah. Um, so that's what I work on mainly. Like my mental coach is pretty much all about trying to just focus on my strengths, trying to just focus on what I can influence because that too, we're a sport where it can yeah. snow, it can rain. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can have a lot of bad luck in races um, to not let that ever get into your brain before you have to go kind of. Yeah. So that's the biggest challenge for sure. Um I always like to say that skeleton is 25% start, um, let's say 30% sliding or maybe 35, 
then you get a, quite a big part of what's material as well, where we spend a lot of time on. But I would say 20% on mental. It's, yeah. it's huge. So yeah, that's been my biggest working point for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, especially when you get to such a high level too, I feel like in almost all sports, it's all about that mental game because everybody kind of like reaches the same kind of skill level, of course, barring injuries and whatever, but then it's all in there. I mean, you kind of mentioned it because there are like factors that are out of your control. I was watching, I don't know what Facebook page I was on, but in a recent competition, someone was just like sliding and then a, a broom like flew <laughs> onto the track. And so that person's head, like thankfully they had a helmet on, obviously, <laughs> but it's like, you never know what can happen. Um, yeah. So that kind of like leads me into like our next question, which was kind of like, you're going down that track real fast. And you got to have to make split second decisions in terms of like, you know, what conditions you're facing and, and all that. So can you kind of talk to us about like the technical aspects of the sport, you know, things that we might not catch. Cause like when I'm watching it, I see you just sliding down and yeah. going side to side, but I'm like, there must be like, like you look at the for some of this stuff. Yeah. It's like, you look at the mercy of just like gravity at that point. It's like, you yeah. can get it. You just got to go. Yeah. I mean, Gravity is a huge part in our sports. Like physics, you really need to play with them for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how often I had to answer the question of, yeah, but you just lay there, right? No. <laughs> not, it, it, it can't be that simple. Or yeah, else that's everyone... <laughs> yeah no. so we, we steer a lot. Uh, you can steer with really slight steers or like your head movement, just purely because of the wind, aerodynamic, I will push you to one side. Um, then we can steer with our shoulders, our knees, and our toes. Our toes are absolutely the hardest steer. Like those are, of course, also slower because you actually touch the ice, which is friction, which means you're kind of breaking a little. But it's really the only way to really turn a sled if you need to. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of um, steering that goes into it for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, every track is different as well. So there's some tracks that require a lot less steering and more of the gliding abilities is what we call it. So it's kind of the, you need to really chill out and trust that your sled will do its job. And that's where the mental aspect probably yeah. comes in. It's like, do you ever close <laughs> your eyes and just like, <laughs> let's see where this goes. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I don't see shit. Well, I was going to say, is there like markers? Because it's like all white. And you're going so fast. I don't even know if your brain could process. Like, by the time you saw it and then processed it, like, that moment's gone. So do you just see white? Or no, like? So <laughs> I think there's quite a bit of athletes that do see. But okay. for me, for example, I'm, I've always been an athlete that keeps her head really low. Okay. And I drag my head a lot in the corners. So I really don't see anything. Like, I see... On the straights, maybe I see a meter in front of me, but that's it. So it's really just trying to look at the walls next to you and figure out where you are on the yeah. straight. And then once you're in the corners, for me, it's really just feeling the pressure hitting your body and yeah. then apply that pressure, learning what that means and where you are on the corner. Um, other athletes, for sure, you can find athletes that have their head a lot higher and they will see more, but it's less aerodynamic. Mm-hmm. I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, <laughs> definitely, I drag my head too much. Uh, like, my head is on the ice way too much. It's just obviously Your helmet's all banged up. Yeah, it really is. It's really bad. I need to bring it every year to, to get new paint on it because it's just banged up. 
Um, but that's just my style. I think that's just like in any sport, you you find your personal preference uh, and what you're comfortable with, and then you just work with that. Yeah. So, so being that there's like so few tracks like around the world, and I don't think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think they change very often. Like, and the importance of like steering and stuff. Like, how do you? Is that something you like innately pick up? Like, if you're you're training mo- mostly off track I don't know if that's the term like uh I guess how many times a year are you like really practicing like the steering and kind of just like feeling where you are in the track yeah so first of all the tracks itself stay the same okay but the profile changes a lot like from one year to another actually curves can change quite a bit which means steers will change quite a bit so we always do track walks before we slide and we check out what the ice looks like Mm-hmm. and try to figure out from there what to do mm-hmm. um, where that's really physics like you look at a corner and you see mm, okay physics gravity is going to hit us that way it's going to push you up there it's going to come down there what yeah. do we do to prevent that kind of thing um, as for the practice part every run costs money <laughs> so there's really not that many um is that because you're like renting the track, Kim? Or like where is the financial kind of yeah? Um, well, it's just really expensive for the tracks to keep the ice on it. Like it's okay. literally like a huge open refrigerator, right? It's like yeah, there's it's no true. roof over it, like on an ice hockey rink. I mean, you keep the energy in there and it stays yeah, cold. It's true. But for us, it's snow on it where there's a lot of people that need to take the snow out it rains they need to make sure the ice doesn't melt away from the rain sun on it you know there's a million things to do on a track on a daily base um that makes it really expensive so obviously the tracks just need a way to get their money back so um that's one part which makes it very hard but also limited time so Mm -hmm. season will start like they will start having ice mid of october often but then our first World Cups are already mid of November. So you really only have one month. Mm-hmm. Um, so we try to kind of in that month hop around tracks a bit, get a bit of every style of track to get used to the new season, test material, all of that. In a normal season, I mean, it's really hard, but I think probably around 100 runs. I don't think I do much more than that. Um, because in a race week, normal race week not pandemic race week we have (laughs) three days of training on which each day we have two runs and then you have two race runs um so that's eight runs a week so it's really not much you really got to be on top of your game every run especially Mm -hmm. in a race week because you can't waste a run yeah i know clearly it's yeah it's really tough and this year so with the pandemic we only have two days actually so they skipped one day to make sure that Bob Say and Skeleton is completely separated. We only get to train every second day, which means even less time on the track. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been challenging, but yeah. it actually makes for really good racing because there's more mistakes. Yeah, it's true. It's like a little bit more interesting. I guess, you know, with talking about kind of like how hard it is to maintain like these tracks, um, how much are you at the mercy of just like good ice conditioning and like you know I assume kind of like if I if I play hockey and so like someone else was on the ice before me and the ice is shit I'm just like this is crap like so (laughs) how much are you at the mercy of just like the 
the quality of the ice and and do you can you change anything in in the way you race or like change your blades or something I don't know yeah so for sure it it really sucks when when it's snowing or it's really humid the, the ice will frost up and you slow down so much so you can have really bad luck with start numbers um you have no control over that obviously that's what we talked about before it's yeah. just a mental game if you yeah. go into that day already thinking fuck it's gonna snow i'm gonna be slow then yeah. there's really no point in even going um yeah. you definitely can adapt some stuff on your sled for it like the blades are runners <laughs> okay <laughs> i was like i don't know what these are called <laughs> <laughs> yeah we have like different cuts what we call so like wider knives and smaller knives and there we can really play with what we use and what weather mm -hmm. condition and what temperature so um you have some things that you can definitely do to make the best out of all the conditions but sometimes it's just slow yeah you just you and just have to be positive just do exactly. the best you can i guess with what you're served yeah. yeah and woke up usually they they really make sure we have good conditions but yeah like for example in innsbruck before christmas we had a woke up and it was not even snowing but just really windy so mm -hmm. snow would blow into the track all the time that's when you actually saw that accident with the broom yeah, yeah. and there's only so much you can do like they can try but you need to have an army of people to be able to take all the snow out so mm -hmm. and catch those brooms <laughs> and catch them, yeah, more. that cannot happen to be no clear. that should not because that's extremely dangerous yeah <laughs> that's the second time on no yeah no. the first time it was a canadian right after the start and she hit it and it was no biggie because it was right after the start right yeah only going, what 40 50 kilometers an hour yeah but the girl last time she was going into Chrysler, so you're around 80 mm -hmm. maybe a little more well that can really be bad of oh, course God. so yeah we definitely trust the track workers with our life that's for yeah. sure yeah. yeah you'd have to All right, Kim, so now like the fun part, I mean, with limited tracks, like what is your favorite memory and is it, do you have a favorite track or is it just like you've had like your biggest success? Was it going to the Olympics? Was it, you know, wearing that Belgian jersey, all of it? <laughs> jersey. I wish it was as wide as a jersey. <laughs> it's very tight. What is it called? A leotard? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very tight. Yeah, it's a suit. Suit. Okay. <laughs> I wish we could wear uh, jerseys. Actually, that would be just nice. like a lo loose jersey flopping in the wind. A little more space to breathe. Too much drag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Let me think. Uh, my favorite track is probably either Königsee, which is where my boarding school was, so where it all started. It's just mm -hmm. a really, really pretty place. Like there's this beautiful lake right at the bottom of the track. Mm -hmm. So it's really nice. Um, and then I really like Sigulda and Latvia. The surrounding, not so great, um, but a really fun track. And I had some really nice results there last year and also this year. Um, Olympics, I mean, going to the Olympics, great. My overall experience at the Olympics was not so great. So mm -hmm. that's not one of my favorite moments, actually. I'll try to um, be able to say something else over the next ones. Yes. <laughs> 
Let's hope. That's, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. And I wish you all the best success. I mean, I thought your me- favorite memory would be going to Placid and we all went out, but that seems to be a regular experience <laughs> for you. It was my first experience. Neck and neck. <laughs> I <did>. So close. <laughs> Kim, what is it about the sport that you like? Like, what is, you know, you were, you played a ton of sports before this. And like you said, you still play soccer, but like, what is it about skeleton that you're like, yeah, this is the one that I'm going to pursue at like the highest level possible? I think it's really the, um, the fact that it's so many things that come together. Like you need to be super explosive and almost aggressive at the start to get your sled going. But then the moment you go onto your sled, you need to be completely relaxed and mm-hmm. quiet and your focus needs to be on top. Um, so I think that combination is really special for a sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, it needs quite a bit of brain work because you need to realize how to slide these tracks the best and yeah. uh, memorize a lot of things. But then it also needs a lot of feeling because even the best plan for a track will never 100% be able to be actually put in place you always need to be able to be very intuitive and trust your feeling in some of these corners so it's just very versatile really yeah. like uh, that makes it really cool and then also I think the fact that I love that there's no stereotypical skeleton athlete mm. like we if you look at us girls you can literally have uh, everything from like 175 uh, centimeters. So don't ask me what that is in <laughs> feet. Your, your height well, system. <laughs> really uh, tall. Yeah. Really tall to like I'm more on a short end, uh, but not even the shortest. So you have all these different body shapes, but then also all these different backgrounds. Like there's soccer players, there's sprinters, obviously, there is mm-hmm. even ballerinas. Like it's wow, very really place, yeah. So that's cool. I think like yeah. it's not there's not that stereotypical stereotypical uh, perfect skelly athlete, and that's fun. Yeah, yeah I mean like we've had so many. Yeah, exactly. And like we've had so many athletes come on our podcast, like rugby players, or like I don't know, just like a bunch of different people who are like, yeah, we used to play. 10 different sports before this or and half my teammates also play like a different sport before committing full-time so it's always fun to kind of hear those stories I mean just like superficially when I'm watching this sport like I can't take my eyes off the tv but then also I'm like really stressed out about like your like physical and mental health at the same time because like you said you your head's pretty low so that means it's probably hitting the ice quite a bit and you know like we all sports come with their risks, right? Like that's just something you have to cope with. But like, I know that with skeleton athletes and probably bobsled as well, like there's the repetitive, you know, brain trauma that seems to kind of be a pattern. So like for you, how do you, how do you cope with this? Like you're aware of it, you know it. I mean, and like I said, all athletes kind of have to deal with this stuff, but like, you know, how do you cope with it? And like, do you feel like your federation at least is taking necessary measures to make sure that you're safe or as safe as you can be. Yeah. So the IBSF, like the International Federation, is starting to for sure pay a lot more attention to this because there has been cases of people um, who have permanent brain damage. But to mm-hmm. be fair, those are very few cases. Mm-hmm. Um, headaches are normal in the sports. And this summer, actually, I went to see a neurologist for this because I got worried. I was uh, very worried that uh, these headaches are going to be something permanent or 
um, that the concussions are gonna turn into something like out of the movie concussion and I'm gonna yeah, change my personality, sure. get early Alzheimer and go crazy. Um, but he actually really um, made it seem a little better for me because he said that my headaches, for example, or the headaches or the sled head, how many people call it yeah. in skeleton, mm -hmm. um, is mainly a thing that's muscular. So it's really just your neck being so tight and pulling on, on your scalp um, that that causes a lot of headaches. Mm -hmm. It's not really your brain being damaged. It's like a tension headache. Exactly. Then the other part of this is we get chemical uh, concussions and not impact concussions. Huh. Obviously, that can happen if you have a bad crash. Of for course. sure, you can get yeah. an actual concussion. But the effects that we feel most of the time, like sled head, is purely from the vibrations of the track and our brain reacting to that. But it's not actually an uh, impact, which means there's no actual damage to it it's just you don't feel good but it's not actually something that's gonna last mm -hmm. now of course there are some cases and especially canadian athletes um from the past that have struggled a lot with this yeah. there's some people that still don't have their short-term memory back and all of that which is horrible yeah. but if you look at the history of those athletes they started sliding right before the whistler olympics and Whistler at that time was an insane track. Like it was okay. super high pressure, super fast, a lot of crashes. And the Canadians sent down their athletes a million times because it was the Olympics and they wanted to be the best. Okay. And that's where those injuries come from. And I think that's something that we've learned over the past is that you don't do more than three runs a day. Like that's mm. just a no-no. Yeah. Um, and then if the track is bumpy, like I'm one of the athletes that if the track is bumpy, I'm not sliding. Mm -hmm. Even if it's a walk-up training, I'll walk away from training. Like yeah. I, It's not worth it for me. Mm -hmm. uh, but the IBSF for sure tries to, like they just developed a new helmet, for example, that's mm. supposed to help with the vibrations. Problem is that new helmet looks like you're a fucking alien. Like it's so, <laughs> <laughs> so heavy. <laughs> Hilarious. And you'd like to think we could be responsible and be like, this is good for my safety. But like as athletes, we're kind of like, it's not functional and it looks exactly. stupid. <laughs> exactly. So I was like, and it's heavier too. So I was like, I'm already dragging my head all the time. Yeah. Even, even heavier helmets. So I'm just going to be. So, yeah. I feel like your neck will be even more tense. With yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'm gonna have to start putting a little runner under my nose. And <laughs> Why not? Yeah, I'll start thinking about it honestly. But yeah, and then also what they do is maybe they have that in hockey too. I'm actually sure they do. It's like the uh, baseline concussion yeah. test. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we have to do that too. If you mm -hmm. crash, you cannot go back to start before you have seen a doctor and before you've passed that test. Yeah. So there is some protocols. I still think there's a lot of athletes that don't listen to their body. And even though they have a headache, they will go back to the start. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it's getting less and less for yeah. sure. I mean, I think with all of this is like, I mean, with anything in life, you kind of like assume a risk. And now I think we're just more knowledgeable that like athletes and individuals are taking their own health in, in, in their own hands, right? We're realizing mm -hmm. that like, maybe there are some long-term consequences. I have mm -hmm. a headache right now. I won't go, go back up or et cetera. Exactly. And like, I commend you for like seeking, you know, some help. Yeah. Cause like, 
even just for peace of mind too because it's like it's really hard to pull yourself away from something that you love yeah um yeah um obviously like a huge crash it's like a very imminent an acute you know trauma it's easy to tell that that was probably damaging but like small <laughs> micro things like you don't know like mm-hmm. you don't know you're like I got smoked last week of practice felt fine maybe that did something but I could totally well, exactly. see how like just holding your head up though working from home has like strained yeah. my neck from the yes I'm serious working at the computer it was like I just don't feel good this like, whole like, time I've just been like adjusting my back <laughs> like, <laughs> like, so like working at home is like giving me tension headaches at this point um but it, it is nice I think like the important part with like you know concussions and any kind of like uh mental health stuff is just like communicating and being open to talk about it exactly or like in your community you guys are very open talking about like you know I mean it has a name so it's happening to people and just exactly. you know sharing that information and that knowledge is is really what's going to kind of bring the sport forward as far as being safe but for sure um I guess we addressed it at the beginning and just to end you know your sport is growing like you said I was surprised to see how many countries have um skeleton athletes what do you think you can attribute to that growth and and what's your hope for your like your sport in the future you know I'm worried for our sports but not because people not competing in it it's more it's just expensive to build these tracks and to hold them in ice so every time there's olympics in a place where there hasn't been a track yet it's it's nerve-wracking because that means they need to build another track and that's Mm -hmm. i don't know how many tens and hundreds of millions of euros that go into building something like that um so that worries me especially with the trend that we've seen at olympics in general that nobody wants them anymore yeah calgary didn't even want the olympics anymore which was a shock for us so Mm -hmm. that worries me because we can't do without the tracks but how are we gonna move on from this so that's worrying if i look at the athletes i think we're really heading in a good way like it's getting really more and more and it's just fun to see all kinds of athletes out here to be honest I mean some of these athletes that we talk about are really just Americans in disguise for other countries but <laughs> I mean <laughs> it's still, it's still like everyone thing. knows but sure <laughs> I mean, it works. It's another flag that you can add to the to the starter list. So whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's a fun sport, and I think it's it's something that is very unique and is fun to watch. Even though I guess for people at home, it's hard to see differences sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. Last year, I sent down a, a journalist actually the track in Winterberg. Like a random person, right? So you just, just sent them down. <laughs> yeah. So she came and she tests all these sports. Like that's what she does as a journalist. Oh man, what a great job! <laughs> Honestly, it's epic. Like this, such weird sports. Like underwater hockey. Didn't you know this exists? <laughs> what? There's no? that. There's underwater rugby too. I drown. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. Like they have this tiny sticks and they dive down and they play on the <laughs> ground of the, um so yeah she came out to Winterberg to Germany and I sent her down halfway the track not from the top I didn't want to kill her but <laughs> she loved it until yeah. today she texts me almost every week and she's like 
when can I come back? Can I start doing this? What is she she wants in, eh? I exactly. mean I I haven't done it, but I I have a feeling I would love it too. Like I'm a little bit of a kind of like an adrenaline adrenaline junkie exactly. and like I like to go fast and <laughs> it sounds good. next time Nick Bassett, we'll send you down. Oh I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> I'll be but, filming. That's what I'll you'll find me at the top, then maybe at the end. <laughs> no, but it, it's so true though. Like, do you think in the future they're gonna build like fictional ice I mean like they're trying that with hockey and I don't think that ice is that great to play but mm-hmm. I mean hockey is very like there's a lot you're moving in many directions where like sliding mm-hmm. is like kind of in, in, in one do you think there's maybe a future in like a, a plastic a synthetic ice or something I mean why not I would be down for water slides what do I care like yeah. I, <laughs> can you imagine I, that'd be awesome <laughs> It would be epic because it would be less cold, right? So yeah. uh, I would be down for that. But no, I think it's possible, but we're very far from that. And the problem is, like you said, hockey, for example, it's a big sport in a few countries, but it's mainly a lot of money in a lot yeah. of countries. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't really see them putting in the research uh, and putting in the work to find out what really could work. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be really cool and maybe eventually it will happen at the point where we just cannot afford to be cooling tracks in Mm. 20 plus degrees anymore yeah Mm. but right now that's not something that's on the agenda anytime soon unfortunately we've tried it on wheels yeah but that was not great Um, and that seems almost scarier like like a wheel could like pop off like there's too many like mechanical parts like malfunction I feel like I don't know very dangerous yeah especially because then you're going down on beton right like yeah it's rough surface so if you crash it's really really bad yeah I I did it once and I wasn't a big fan so (laughs) even the Germans stopped doing it because they had so many injuries so yeah damn damn you're like not for me (laughs) <laughs> nah, just give me ice or water. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or water well, right. Kim, thank you so much for for taking the time to speak with us and kind of teach us about the sport. I mean, You're sorry welcome. if we asked too many silly questions, but now I know it's not a jersey <laughs> nor a leotard. <laughs> but um, it's always a pleasure for us to like learn about new sports, and I think your sport is incredible. I mean, all the sliding sports. It just looks fun. And I think I think it's like there's like this mystical aspect to it because it's not necessarily something you could just go try like mm-hmm. a, any given day. So you guys are kind of like the unicorns of sports that, the unicorns uh, of sports. you know, like everyone, doesn't I love really, it. I love it. <laughs> everyone knows it's there, you know, they've maybe seen it. They've heard about it. Yeah, yeah, that's I true. Like I mean, Kim, thank you so much. Uh, if anybody wants to watch any of your races, can we just hop onto youtube is it like does the federation show it is it accessible in any way for people to to support you guys and support you yeah for sure it's actually really nice uh we have always live tv at the all our races so everything is on youtube ibsf bobsley and skeleton tv that's where you can find excellent that's where we can find it and your next race is soon i'm assuming yeah this friday we train tomorrow for the first time out here in st moritz so We hope it's going to be a little less cold tomorrow because today was freezing. And I'm pretty sure St. Moritz is where Skeleton was first born, right? Yeah. It's in Switzerland, yeah. 
yeah, so St. Moritz is this really weird place where pretty much there's only us athletes coming here once a year, and then the rest is just super, super rich people. <laughs> um, like a night in a hotel here, I think starts at 500 euros. Like it's insane. Oh, gosh. Only okay. two people walking around with like fur jackets. Like <laughs> and, then, and then a bunch of skeleton athletes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you see us walking around in our sweatpants and we're like, okay. Hi. <laughs> so yeah, uh, it's a birthplace and it's a special place because it's natural ice, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Like there's no actual uh, beton under it, like no, no frame. Really? It's just like all ice. It's really cool. Wow. That yeah, is it's super really pretty. Awesome. And it feels really nice when you're sliding too because it's so quiet, obviously. Mm-hmm. So it's a very special place for sure. Awesome. Well, well we're wishing the you best. the best of luck. Thanks, got guys. This. And, and uh, uh, Kim, before we let you go, though, if people could follow you on yes. like Twitter and Instagram, how, how can they follow you? Well, just uh, look for Kim Manamans, I guess. Uh, <laughs> you can find me either under the little Belgian or just under my name. Not Tart. I'm an open book. I love the nickname, <laughs> the little Belgian. The little, Perfect. I know. It's great. <laughs> That's actually from a Canadian. She named really? my best friend. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Was that like early on in your career or just like randomly? <laughs> that was when I was still with the Germans and okay. everybody knew that I was different. So they would just call me the little Belgian. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I guess I like suck. it. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Right. Uh, well, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Wishing you the best of luck in your competition and all the ones that follow and hopefully this pandemic will allow you to have more of that social social side that you're missing a little bit. But uh, yeah, really appreciate your time. Subscribe to our podcast, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Balado Quebec. And we're even on YouTube if you want to look at our beautiful faces. <laughs> you can show us some love on Facebook and Instagram at Away From The Play and also on Twitter at Mel underscore and underscore sass. You can also follow us individually on Twitter at sass underscore on the go and Mel at Mel The Rock. And special thanks to Mathieu Brutus for the incredible music and Naimaloof for our badass logo. Yes, please give them a follow online. And you know what? We'll see you next week with a brand new Women's Hockey Monday episode. 